Welcome and thank you for listening to this podcast from core to ad Independent Medical Education. This podcast series focuses on thrombosis in various clinical conditions and consists of four episodes. In this first episode, you will hear from internationally renowned experts Professor Dimitrios Tsekiris and Professor Michael Negler when they discuss the need to monitor anticoagulation in clinical practice. During the podcast, both the technical aspects and the clinical usefulness are debated by the experts. This podcast is an initiative of Core2Ed and developed by Hemostasis Connect, a group of international experts working in the field of hematology. The podcast is supported by an independent educational grant from Viatris. The views expressed are the personal opinions of the experts. They do not necessarily represent the views of the experts' organizations or the rest of the Hemostasis Connect group. For expert disclosures on any conflict of interest, please visit the Core2Ed website. Good morning. My name is Dimitrios Tsakiris and I'm a hematologist at the University of Basel in Switzerland, specialized in hemostasis. We would like to discuss with you today the issue of monitoring anticoagulants. We think that this is an important topic because it helps practitioners of medicine to judge intensity of anticoagulation and under certain circumstances also help them guide treatment of these patients. But first, let me welcome Professor Michael Nagler in the discussion. He is an expert in laboratory medicine, a hematologist, epidemiologist, and I would like to let him introduce himself in the discussion. Dr. Nagler, please. Thank you very much, Dimitrios. I'm happy to do this uh, with you. So I'm really interested in the topic of anticoagulation in monitoring, and one could even say that this issue significantly influenced the course of my career. So the key question I was always interested in is, what does this specific test result or lab test result mean for the individual patient? And I'm very happy to discuss that with, with you, Dimitrios. Thank you, Michael. We would like to start with some technical aspects because understanding the technical background of the test systems is crucial for the choice of the monitoring way how to go. Now, we know that anticoagulation is available since uh, almost 60 years now, and there have been traditional test systems to follow them, at least uh, the first anticoagulants that were available. But since 10 years now, we have a variety of new direct anticoagulants which help us treat patients, but they pose technical problem concerning measuring intensity of the action of these drugs. We will focus on the direct oral anticoagulants first because they are widely used nowadays. And we know that there are some techniques which vary between themselves available to monitor them. The gold standard, for example, when DOACs were introduced in the treatment was mass spectrometry. This is a very elaborate technique, which is not available in usual laboratories. But on the way, simpler test systems were developed, which were specific or more 
universal uh, for detection of these drugs. So could you introduce us a little bit to these techniques, Dr. Nagler? How did you experience the appearance of these uh, specific or universal anti-tenate systems, as they are called, uh, for monitoring drugs? Of course. So I fully agree that mass spectrometric methods have clear advantages that qualify them as the reference standard. Sensitivity and very low concentration, specificity in terms of which drug is used, capture of drug metabolites, linearity, also in low and high concentration. But yeah, you already said this, they are not available in clinical practice. Uh, results need to be available quickly, and this is simply not possible with mass spectrometric methods. These uh, chromogenic anti-TNA assays that capture the inhibition of exogenous factor TNA, which we have known for decades from heparins, can be implemented on almost any coagulometer, so it's at least in theory widely available or can be made widely available. So these techniques are are good and we're experienced in it and when we adapt it accordingly to the direct oral anticoagulants and implement it in current uh, healthcare uh, processes, I think they can be really of value. You know, uh, in medicine, making things simpler is always very attractive. And uh, there have been visions followed, uh, I can think of that Theranos uh, issue where out of one droplet of blood, you could uh, check uh, any kind of test analysis that you would like, but that was illusionary at the end. Now, if we think of that uh, development uh, in the anti-TNA assays, that a universal anti-TNA test system could be sufficient to be used for all three available DOACs, that would have a great impact in uh, practicing medicine. Do you have an opinion on that? Because there are some studies, uh, very interesting studies, which confirm the uh, usefulness of uh, such a test system. Absolutely, I fully agree. The problem of these anti-TNA ASs are in practical nature, though you normally need one calibration for every drug you would like to measure. And there are uh, quite a number of ideas and uh, tests and studies to apply a universal calibrator to this. And we did a very large study, used different calibrators, tried it out with different calibrators, and it works if you uh, concentrate on categorical critical drug levels. And that it works very well. But it, if you would like to measure accurate drug levels, I think it's hard to, to implement it. Unless there will be someone in, in international WHO standard or something. But if you would like to, to measure specific drug levels in terms of microgram per liter or something, I think a universal uh, calibration is not possible. But if you go for categorical values, clinical relevant drug levels, I'm convinced it works very well. And this is the question which is important for the physician. Yes, that is correct. But uh, we have to think here that manufacturers have published actually at least two of them, only anti-TNA universal 
values of uh, the activity of the drug. So we have an, an option to judge how much intensity do we have in circulating blood concerning the drug. And uh, the, as you said, uh, this should be a categorical evaluation and uh, help the clinician say, I have enough or not enough or too much of that. Uh, would that help a little bit uh, the implementation of this universal test? The questions physicians would like to ask and the decisions that they have to make is, shall I give an reversal agent in case of bleeding or can I operate this patient safely in case of urgent surgery, for example? And for this, these are, um, I mean, clear clinical questions and they can be answered in a categorical way. Yes or no. Are the drug levels low enough that I can go straight forward to operation, for example? And so in this way, it's possible, easily possible with categorical cutoff values. You, you don't need, for, for answering these questions, you don't need a precise information on the drug level. Correct. I mean, at the bedside level, this is correct. And now, you have noticed we have already bridged the way to the second main topic of the discussion, the usefulness of uh, monitoring the anticoagulants. And um, this is important to discuss because traditionally anticoagulants, at least the first ones, have been uh, very closely followed and monitored. But uh, since the appearance of the newer direct anticoagulants, we don't need that. At least the manufacturers planned and offered us studies which uh, showed that closed monitoring is redundant. But despite that, I know that in laboratory medicine, two philosophies exist. One says uh, we don't find anything if we don't look for it. And the other says a non-investigated patient is a healthy patient. So you have to choose uh, what to follow. Personally, I prefer the first option to measure everything that we can measure because that helps us understand uh, the background of any medical problem. But concerning uh, this uh, statement of the manufacturers that uh, we don't need monitoring of the dose, how do you experience it in everyday life? I mean, uh, if you have a very well-established anticoagulation in a patient, you don't need to know how intense it is. It works. But what do we do in case of uh, emergencies, emergency operations or bleeding how do you experience that in your everyday uh, work? So I believe we have to distinguish two distinct situations. First, monitoring in the narrow sense and the detection of critical drug levels in the context of acute bleeding, upcoming surgery and thrombolysis. In the second case, there are many experts who see a benefit of measuring drug levels. Yeah, I mean, for a decision of whether I shall give a reversal agent, whether I can proceed to surgery, whether I can proceed to, to thrombolysis. In the case of monitoring, in terms of determination of peak or trough level concentrations and adjustment of the drug dosage, I mean, there are no studies that demonstrate efficacy and uh, safety of this type of management. I, I have to know what to do Yeah, when, when I would find a, a lower 
than average drug level in some patients, shall I increase the dosage? Or if I find higher drug levels, shall I lower the dosage? There are simply no studies uh, which study this, this kind of management. And also, I mean, the dosage of the drugs of the tablets is, is more or less fixed. So this is an important aspect of monitoring or important piece of evidence that we need before monitoring. We, we must know what to do. And this management must, must be confirmed and studied. And this is simply not available. I think it's a strong argument against monitoring in routine clinical practice. But of course, we are measuring drug levels in special situations in many diseases and many patients. And it's important to know the drug levels before surgery. And so I think many experts agree on this also extrapolated from, from other diseases and others, other situations. So I think we have to de distinguish two situations. And I believe it's useful in, in the number of special situations, but uh, monitoring in terms of adjusting the drug levels in routine clinical practice, we simply do not have the data. That is correct. The uh, variability of kinetics of these drugs do not need to be checked and adapted according to the intensity or concentration because they work. Otherwise, that was what studies showed us, the licensed studies of, uh, of all of them. In the last 10 years or so, quite a number of observational studies appeared in special patient groups, very obese patients, patients with renal, um, at least moderate renal insufficiency, old patients, and so on. And the essential uh, results are the, or the interpretation is it works in every patient group. So we do not see a particular patient group where the effectiveness, efficacy, and safety differs dramatically from overall. This is also, I, I think, a, a strong argument against a, a routine monitoring approach. That is uh, correct. But uh, you think that we still need them in uh, special cases, such as you mentioned, stroke and uh, fibrinolysis treatment. Do we have circulating drug or not? That would be a no-go. Or indication to give a direct antidote. Do we have circulating drug or not? Measuring that under these circumstances is possible because uh, automatization allows us to have a result in the short term. You don't have to wait, wait hours for that, but just minutes today. So if I would like to close that first part of the discussion uh, before we go to the next topic, I could say that a key message would be in this situation, choose wisely whether you would like to measure drug intensity, but keep in mind that you don't find anything if you don't look for it. So in special situations, it is useful and can be usable quasi the result of uh, the uh, testing uh, of anticoagulation. Now, just a few words to change the subject a little bit and go back in time to the older anticoagulants. It is undisputable that uh, vitamin K antagonists need monitoring as it has been done uh, until now with the INR following. And heparins need also monitoring especially unfractionated heparin. 
There is a trend lately to follow unfractionated heparin with more modern anti-TNA tests. And many big hospitals in Switzerland have already implemented that. Uh, do you have an opinion on this? Should we uh, leave traditional global tests such as APTT back and uh, take the newer anti-TNA tests for unfractionated heparin? Yeah, also the efficacy of, of unfractionated heparin, but also vitamin K antagonists depends on so many patient factors. And we have been used to monitoring through decades. With regard to unfractionated heparin, guidelines still recommend the APTT for monitoring. But mostly for theoretical reasons, they consider it as a, as a functional test. But everyone in clinical practice knows the problems of the influencing, many influencing factors and the uh, clinical data. And I, I reviewed them uh, recently, the clinical data supporting this evidence were collected decades ago, and these are simply poor. So I'm convinced that the, the observational data we have for anti-10A measurements are much better than APTT. So there are observational studies, very old observational studies supporting APTT, but I'm convinced that the data we accumulated with regard to anti-10A to date are better than for the APTT. And I think it's rec still recommended for theoretical reasons. And the arguments are in terms of clinical data are not good. And every institution I know which implemented an anti-TNA approach is very happy with it. I would agree with that. Anti-TNA test systems can be more standardized in that way which was not the case with the classical global anticoagulation assays uh, before that. So I think we have come to the end of this discussion. Please allow me to summarize uh, very briefly and give you three key messages as we have discussed them, focusing on DOAC. DOAC monitoring is useful whenever we need it and whenever we need to know the activity of circulating drug in special situations, but not as a routine monitoring. DOAC choice and uh, dosing should still be guided by individual clinical characteristics that uh, we should keep in mind and uh, not let us guide by the monitoring results. And uh, last uh, laps can still efficiently use their traditional test systems to monitor anticoagulants, but in the name of the better interlaboratory comparability, anti-TNA assays should be preferred over other. Dr. Nagler, before we close, do you have an additional point to give us? Thank you very much. There's an additional point. I have a strong opinion, and this is the monitoring of vitamin K antagonists because there are still patients treated with vitamin K antagonists and the monitoring of these patients is, is rather difficult and you need a lot of training and, and practice to do this and doctors are not used to it anymore. So if you pay, have patients like this, I strongly recommend to send these patients to designated training programs uh, or monitoring programs for example, patient self-monitoring or other uh, anticoagulation clinics,
because this is a, a difficult treatment and needs a lot of practice. Thank you very much for inviting me, Dimitrios. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Michael, for that. Uh, thank you, listeners, for being with us today. Uh, we hope that you uh, will enjoy this topic. See you and hear you next time. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed the first podcast episode in this series on thrombosis in various clinical conditions. If you like this episode, look out for more episodes in the series on the Core to Add Medical Education channel. There are three other episodes in the series where Professor Tsakidis leads the expert discussion on thrombosis and cancer, venous thromboembolism and thromboprophylaxis. Also, don't forget to rate this episode on the Cortuad website and share our podcast on social media or with your colleagues. Thank you for listening and see you next time.